So now I want you to buckle your imaginary seatbelts, open your real and true book, the Bible, to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to continue on this journey through Peter. And we could say that we're in chapter 6, really, because there's five chapters in 1 Peter, and he's laid some foundation, and he's building on that. And so really, we're in Peter chapter 6. But Second Peter, the second book, and I'm, I've asked you a couple times to read through the, the letter. It doesn't take but 10 minutes or so, and you're going to start to see that you're going to want to be back in chapter 1 when we get to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is about as low as you can get in the Bible um, compared to the pinnacle you are in chapter 1 and what he laid down in the foundation of First Peter. And uh, chapter 2 is just dark. And so we're getting prepared, and he's preparing his readers and hearers for that by laying this foundation in the beginning of chapter 2, or I mean beginning of Peter 2. So as we... If you don't have a Bible with you that you brought your own, there's one under the seat you're sitting on or just the one right in front of you, the seat. So you want to just grab a Bible. And then Mimi, you know that we've been putting that stick man up there, but that stick man is now in your hands, okay? So on the back of your bulletin is your stick man. And you're going to want to, uh, you can lay that out how you want to, but it says, uh, about making every effort, effort to add to your faith, and we'll, we'll go through that in a minute. But today we are going to focus on First Peter, chapter two, verses eight and nine and ten. But eight, nine, and ten is connected to what went before it and what came after it. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read a little section of this that we're going to work our way through. Father, we just thank you for your word. Help us, Lord God, to just be fully aware as we can at this moment of the richness of your word, to drink deeply from your living water, to walk in your truth and your way. Give us wisdom and understanding. Rebuke us, correct us, encourage us, build us, God, with your word and the power of it, the beauty of it, the sufficiency of it, the wonder of it the grandeur of it. And Lord, we're just thankful for these precious promises. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I read through here again, I'm going to emphasize uh, two T's, okay? And so you listen for those two T's because there's quite a few T's in chapter one, but the T's that are joined together and they're hooked up, okay? You'll notice them when I say them, hopefully. So I'm starting in verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now here's your stick, man, okay? And it says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And that's the bottom foundation. That's what he's standing on. Um, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And the NIV uses a weak word called goodness. The, the, the more powerful word there is the word virtue, okay, or moral excellence. 
And so you add to your faith, goodness, virtue, those two go together. And then knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And so as you have been hearing, you could spend you could spend a week on each one of these. There's seven of them. So you could pick one for each day. And maybe your family would go, you must be working on love this week because you're really demonstrating love. You must be working on self-control this month because I've noticed you've been doing better in areas where self-control would be important and appropriate. So you could pick one of those things. You could do it one, one a day, one every seven weeks, one every seven months, one for seven months straight. But what you're going to do is you want to add to your faith. Okay, and you want to add to your faith these things. Because after that, it says this. Look at what it says now. We're focusing on verse 8. For if you, okay, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will receive, you will never fail, never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of... These things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth we now have, I think it is necessary and right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you always remember these things. So it must be pretty important to Peter that he's going to make every effort to help them add to their faith and then make every effort to help them to remember these things. And we've been talking about these characteristics and we could start all over and go back through the list of each one of them individually and we could ask ourselves, am I making every effort to add to my faith these things? And we need to be asking our questions, questions like that of ourselves. Have you yourself been adding to your faith? Have you been adding to your faith goodness and virtue? Have you been adding to your faith and virtue knowledge? Have you been adding to your virtue and your goodness and your knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love? And do you recognize that if you possess these things in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive? And the opposite is also true. If we do not possess them in increasing measure, we will be barren, unfruitful, unproductive, ineffective in our knowledge of God. And I don't know any young person who wants to stand up and say, listen, I'm here because I want to live an unproductive life. I want to just have the worst life possible. I want to be barren. I want to be unfruitful. I want to be ineffective. And I would just like to be a slug. Does anybody want to volunteer for that? I'll tell you this. We don't volunteer for that. But it is chasing us and it is pressing in on us all the time. And so Peter loves these people he's writing to, and he knows they're in a stream 
of water, forcing them to go backward. And he's saying, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And so we're going to talk about some words. And some of the words I want to emphasize here is the word barren, which the NIV uses the word ineffective and unproductive. But a better word there would be the word barren. Because a life is supposed to produce fruit. And if sometimes we think about effectiveness, we might think, well, we might not understand quite what that means. But we know what barrenness means. Because we've seen a tree that has no leaves on it, it's barren. We see a tree that has no blossoms on it, it's barren. We come to a tree that has no fruit on it, it's barren. And so asking ourselves, how can we make it as practical as we can? And so I've been trying to do that in my own life. And I've been trying to do that for you to make that you would uh, remember these things. So the little stick man here, you can fill that in. And you need to ask yourself, where in my life? Because these are characteristics that's going to help you and I build healthy relationships. And I'll tell you, you're going to swim upstream from this day forward to keep any relationship functional and healthy. So you're going to say, man, these qualities in my relationships are going to strengthen those relationships. If, if I'm not adding these things to my life, my relationships, my personal life is going to move toward barrenness. It's going to move toward emptiness. It's going to move toward unproductivity, ineffectiveness, staleness. And we don't want it to do that. Okay. So in the, I think it was the New King James Version, I like to read um, these verses in as many uh, texts as I can so I can get some different words. But um, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the NIV. But the King James and New King James uses words like abounding. If you possess them in abounding, super abounding, that it's increasing, that it's growing, you're going to move forward. If not, you'll be barren. And so it's interesting to, I was, uh, I had the privilege to be up um, a little bit earlier this morning than normal. And so I was at the kitchen counter and I was writing this particular page of my notes. And I just want to, I just want to, before I read what I've written here, I want you to, I want you to understand it's on the edge of my ability to understand. It's on the edge of my ability to comprehend what Peter is trying to help us grasp that we add to our faith, that somehow we're, we have the, we have the unbelievable staggering privilege of participating in our own development that we know that every one of us in this room next week we'll be a week older okay but will be will we be a week will we be one week stronger will we be one week more uh in love with the lord and in love with our families will we be one week closer to where we could be and we should be if we're adding to our faith. So when we're talking about our own responsibility here, so when Peter says, listen, you add to your faith, you make every effort, 
when we're talking about our responsibility in our relationship with God, we have to be very, very careful because there's deep mystery here. It's like talking to a baby in the womb and telling that baby, you better grow. You better get after it. And it's like talking to a seed in the ground and telling that seed, you know, you better, you better sprout. And once you sprout, you better reach up your leaves to the sun. It's like the relationship between the plant and the soil, between the fish and the water. And we see it all the way through scripture in verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 15, where it says, um, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But I'm, but uh, somebody know that verse? It, it, it got lost in the fog up there. Okay, let me just turn to it quickly. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. It says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, but his grace was not without effect in me. No, but I worked harder, harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. So there's somehow this correlation. Same in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. Same in, in uh, Romans chapter 5, where it says that we struggle with suffering, and in our life, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and Suffering and hope are in the same sentence. How does that work? And then in other verses in Scripture, like John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, where he says, you must be born again. Can you cause yourself to be born again? How do you do that? Even Nicodemus was stupefied. Can, I, can, I, can a man, when he's grown, go back into his mother's womb? And so the nursing baby has to suck. The fish has to move its gills. The plants need to accept the heat from the sun and the nutrients from the soil. There's a relationship between the host and I just found this word, but maybe you're not going to like it, but the host and the parasite. Okay? There's a relationship. And so we have a part to play. And when we're talking about that part, we need to be very careful because Scripture in no way minimizes the human responsibility to seek God, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to pursue God, to find Him. But how do we talk about that when we're talking about the, the receiver of life and the giver of life? We're the recipient. We didn't create life. You can't keep your heart beating. You can't keep your mind thinking. But somehow you're supposed to live. Somehow you're supposed to be engaged in life. And somehow you know that when you're not living up to your responsibility, you say to yourself, I can do better. And tomorrow I will. And if I don't do better, I'm heading down a road toward barrenness and unpredicted unproductivity. So... We're talking about responsibility. So we're, when everything in life, it says there, remember earlier it said, in him, in his divine nature, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us that. Basically, Peter's saying, since God's given us that, you get going. You pour it out. You realize, apart from God, there's no life. We humans are indeed morally, spiritually, relationally responsible to answer the call that's been given to us from God. 
to live, to breathe. You know, when that baby comes out of the womb and used to go, used to be that I guess they would slap the baby gently on the bottom. Now they probably think it's inhumane treatment. But basically that doctor's saying, you live now. Take a breath in your new environment and take responsibility. And what if the kid says, you know, he shows his stubbornness right off the bat and says, you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm not going to breathe this air. I want to go back to the womb. It's not going to work. You and I cannot sit in wherever we're at and expect us to move forward. We just won't do it. We won't do it. It won't happen. It's somehow like the question, uh, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? There was never, nor will there ever be a Christian without Christ. There's no salvation without a Savior. There's no life without a life giver. But how do we call the Christian to recognize growth is impossible without our participation? The word growth and participation only makes sense because first there was a God giving them. So there's a massive invitation in chapter 1 to live. Peter knows where these aliens and strangers are headed. So he laid this groundwork in the first five chapters of Peter. Now in 2 Peter chapter 1, they're just about to enter into 2 Peter chapter 2, the darkness of false teaching, the darkness of people that are going to try to trick them and care about their growth, only care about them remaining immature or going backwards. So he's making every effort here to say, listen, I'm telling you, you need to breathe. You need to live. You need to run. You need to go after it. You need to climb. And that's what I hear in Scripture all across there in so many different verses. Make every effort. Seek, knock, find, ask, have faith, trust God, believe. Yet all of these things are the work of God and the gift of God. Each of these come from Him. Salvation, His, his gift. Repentance, His gift. Faith, His gift. Grace, His gift. Yet if you do not repent, if you do not exercise faith and trust, self-control, love, your relationships will stagnate. And they're only going to stagnate for a short time. And then they will begin to go backward. That's just the nature of the beast. That's what we're headed. That's what we're facing. So the growth and development of the baby is in direct correlation to the hunger and the thirst of the baby. If the baby's not hungering, we know something's wrong. We know immediately, physically, something has to intervene. Someone has to intervene. The baby either has to learn to eat or they're going to have to feed them some other way to get them through that stage where they're not hungering and thirsting. So the growth of your walk with God is in direct correlation to time spent with him, knowledge of his person, knowledge of his ways. Our spiritual development, your spiritual development will never exceed your desire. Think about that in your relationship, in your marriage. If you have been in a place like we've all been in a place, if you've been married for any length of time, you know, except maybe the first, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you, if you've been married for any length of time, you know there's some times where this person you're supposed to be growing into oneness with, you're feeling 
compelled to push them away and they're pushing you away. And there's a season like that, but you also know that you'll never get to where you hope and want and know you can be unless you press in and press on. And so that's what we're talking about. How does this work? There's mystery involved in it. How does a person walk with God? How do we walk with another person? How do we assure that this relationship is going to grow? Well, I would say Peter has some pretty good advice here when he says make every effort to add. Make every effort to put some time in. And I think about uh, a verse in Philippians, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing, right? So all of Philippians chapter 3, all of 1 John chapter 15, where it says you abide in me and I abide in you, apart from me you can do nothing. Trusting the realities of Scripture. Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God because those who come to him must believe that he is and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek them. Seek him, that is. You cannot create faith. You can't manufacture belief. They're a gift from God. But the very one who requires faith of you is the one who gives it. The one who requires you to trust him will enable you to trust him as you press forward. Who's responsible for the depth of your marriage? The preacher who married you? Who's responsible for the depth of your marriage? That your friends and your family, the culture, the media? Who's responsible for the depth of your marriage? Hopefully you get it. You and I are. Certainly not your kids. We should be asking ourselves on a regular basis, what is my duty? What is my responsibility? What is my privilege? What is my obligation with what's been given to me? And it says here that life and godliness, everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us. So, I just have to shout some of these things out so you can think that this isn't just one time in Scripture. I mentioned a couple times, but the truth of Psalm 1. The truth of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the seat of the uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the streams of living water, which bears his fruit in season. So that person, that tree, is drinking deeply from the river. The truth of Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. The truth of Isaiah chapter 5, that God provided for good grapes to be growing why are they not growing? The truth of Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Perseverance of a race, throwing everything aside. So, we press on. God, God didn't call you because you were qualified. He, he didn't call us because we possess these virtues. When he tells us a little later on there, Peter, therefore my brothers be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. He didn't call you because you were full. He called you because you were empty. 
Someone has wisely said that God does not call the equipped, He equips those He calls. Eugene Peterson said this, God does not send us into the dangerous and exciting life of faith because we are qualified. He chooses us in order to qualify us for what He wants us to do. There's an enormous gap between what we think we can do and what God is calling us to do. Our ideas of what we can do are trivial, puny at best. God's ideas are grand. They're grand. And so he wants you and I to add to our faith because there's going to be coming a place in the future where you're going to need it. You're going to need these qualities in increasing measure for you to continue to grow and experience the richness of the life that he would have for you. There's an enormous gap there between where we're at and where we will be just in a few years. You know, I love to use the little kids as an illustration. And we had, um, I, I just, it, if you don't have a chance to work with kids, you should start. <laughs> because what it is, is just you start to see you are just a, a just a bundle of tremendous potential. But potential for trouble too. Potential for difficulty too. Per, potential for making poor choices too. And so we're learning that we can trust Him, but will we trust Him? He calls us as weak, ineffective, barren, unfruitful, unproductive, nearsighted, and blind. He gives us strength. He builds into our lives His Spirit, His character, His values, His love, His grace. As we cooperate with Him, we reflect His nature. As we add to our faith these things He gives us, our lives begin to have the substance and our lives begin to have the seeds of future fruit-bearing. We begin to see and hear and understand our lives are for the lives of others. To care for them, to notice them, to serve them, to love them, to build into their lives. And this is something I wish I could just sink into my own brain as I want to sink into your brain. If, th if we think that we can somehow accomplish the purpose of our life without adding to our faith, if we think that we will find the meaning and fulfillment in remaining as we are today, barren, unfruitful, nearsighted, and blind, we're missing the real story. We're missing real living in our lives. We're missing the knowledge of God. We're missing the opportunity to grow up in Him. You could ask yourself, last year at this time, in March, you could remember a few things about yourself, but is your Christian life in the same place as it was a year ago? Is my Christian life in the same place as it was a year ago? What's transpired over a whole year? How have I sought Him? How have I pursued Him? How have I added to my faith? We're really nearsighted and blind when we don't take full advantage of the responsibility to grow, to add, to increase, to bear fruit, to be effective and productive. So we have this letter that Peter wrote before, right? He, he laid the foundation for those who he's writing to. And he said in chapter 1, you've been giving a living hope. 
chapter 2, he says, you're living stones. Chapter 3 and 4 and 5, he tells them things like, give a reason for the hope that you have. Continue to pursue. They can't remain the same. They must add to their faith. Build onto the barrenness to make faith fruit-bearing. To let their eyes see further and clearer. It's interesting, the whole, those words, barren, unproductive, nearsighted, and blind. Do you see those um, characteristics? They're right there at the end, verse 8 and 9. But if anybody does not have them, nearsighted and blind. Well, God has provided for our growth. God's provided everything we need for life and godliness through our reciprocating, invigorating, Living, breathing, developing, ongoing, ongrowing, unstale, unboring, unhindered, unleashed, unpredictable, trusting, terrifying, hope-filled, joy-filled, trial-filled, suffering-filled, penetrating, powerful, unnerving relationship with Him. He's provided that. Do you remember Jesus saying something like this to anyone who would listen to Him? He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Sounds to me like unproductiveness, barrenness, unfruit-bearing, nearsighted, and blind. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. A full life that is being added to, right? Dude, you're... Well, sorry, dude. But you and I, you and I are made in such a way that you cannot possibly stay satisfied for long in the place you're at. That's a wonder. You should just be amazed at that. Why can't I be satisfied? You weren't made to be satisfied. You were made to continue. You were made to grow. You were made to embrace so much more. So you look forward and you go, yesterday, I'm hopeless. Today, listen, I'm made for so much more. No wonder there's emptiness in me. It's empty so it can be filled. So I can add to my faith. Yeah, some things got to go. I got to make room. I got to press on. But a full life that's being added to, a life that is abounding, Increasing a life that's possessing and producing these things in increasing measure. The life we're invited to live. Yes, yes, yes. It is fraught with trials and pain and suffering. I read my email last night about 11 o'clock. 14 seizures in a row in one day. Faith was experiencing. This week alone. Two friends of mine buried their wives and one wife buried her husband, all due to unnatural causes of death. One thing that rocked me is just south of here, there's a church that I've driven by many times on my way down past Detroit Lakes, Cowboy Church. You're probably familiar with it. Brian Erickson took his own life. How do you explain that? How do you understand that? It's rocking me. And I'm saying, listen, I need to sink my teeth into these truths because I don't know what's coming. I don't know exactly all the details. 
It's fraught with trials. It's fraught with pain. There's frustration. There's suffering. And so that's what we're facing. That's one reason why we need to add to our faith. We need a fresh supply. We need a fresh supply to live through the debilitating, draining effects of the corruption of this world. To help us have faith that can deal with death and the smell of death in all its forms. Peter's a realist. The Bible's a realist. He invites us to add to our faith because the alternative is absolutely dismal. Okay? The alternative to adding to your faith from this day forward is absolutely dismal. It's downright depressing and all around life crushing. The alternative to adding to our faith is barrenness, fruitlessness, nearsighted, and blind. We add to our faith because not only because it glorifies God, then we when we use what He provided for us, but also because the alternative is so tragic, it's so narrow, it's so empty, it's so dark. So looking down the road to the future, we have some idea. We do have some idea what our future life on earth holds. It's going to contain some pain. There's going to be pleasure. There's going to be joy. There's going to be sorrow. God knows this. Peter knows this. And it's so serious to add to our faith. Because the earnest length at which Peter goes to remind us of these things, he knows himself. The enemy of our souls can take down the best of us. Peter walked with Jesus and he went into the garden meeting room and that young lady come up and said, aren't you one of his disciples? Peter denied Jesus. You add to your faith because there's no other way to be certain your faith will be there in the future. Right? If you're not adding to it, faith is... In a sense, it has the characteristics of a relationship as a characteristics of something living. It's alive. So you have to add fuel to something living, right? And so that's how you guarantee that it'll be there in the future. You hold fast to the end of the journey. To be certain your faith will be there, you add to it. Otherwise, verse 10 and 11 will be true of us. We add to our faith because the certainty of the strain and the drain of the journey. We add to our faith because our need to encourage others just like us and our need to be encouraged by others just like us. We add to our faith because there's a rich welcome. Do you see that? For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I just remembered a simple illustration, and I'll close with this. There was a missionary who had gone and spent um, 30 or 40 years in some country, some forgotten country, and he happened to be on a ship when one of the famous people, it might have been Teddy Roosevelt, was returning on a ship. And when the ship was getting closer. The crowd was building there at the pier and they start cheering and cheering and cheering. And he was in his room and he starts hearing all this cheering and he comes out to find out that no one even knows he's on board. 
And he starts to feel a little sorry for himself. And he, start, and he just sees them acknowledging this famous person, cheering and clapping. And he says, God, I served you all my life. What, where's my welcome? And you know what God said to him? You ain't home yet. You ain't home yet. There will be a rich welcome. So there's lots of reasons to add to our faith. And we'll continue to see some of those. But the path that at one time before you was so bright has become dimmer and dimmer until you can barely see ahead of you. I looked up this definition of nearsighted and blind. And basically, there's several ideas that it just gets so cloudy or foggy, you can't see down the road ahead of you. And so that's near and nearsighted means as further you look away, you can no longer see and make out what's before you. Okay. You're just nearsighted. All you can see is your hand in front of your face. So you can't walk very well. You can't see the future very well. Life gets really heavy and starts a crushing on you. And all you're aware of is your own circumstances. That's nearsighted and blind. So I'd say, well, when that happens to me, I wonder what happened. I wonder what preceded that. Huh. I forgot to take the word of God seriously. I forgot to add to my faith. I forgot to keep building this thing. I forgot to take my wife on a date. I forgot to be kind and thankful and grateful. I'll tell you, the last two days that I prayed with people who have said goodbye to their loved ones, last night I had the privilege of waking up at 3 in the morning and reaching over, putting my hand on my wife and saying, God, thank you for this wife. Thank you for this person. Thank you for this life. Help me to love her. Help me to grow in my love for her. Help me to understand how I can appreciate her. So that's going to help me increase and abound and superabound and become more and more. And I realize that's part of what is my responsibility. And so we want to hear the water say to the fish, swim. We want to hear the soil say to the plant, grow. We want to hear the creator, the father in whose image we are made who's calling to each of us, say, you know what? You've yet to live. You're just beginning to live. Grow, my son. Grow, my daughter. Walk, run, sprint. Climb. Pursue. Because when we stop living, nearsighted and blindness starts in and our, wo- our world will close in on us. Hope will be hard to find. But I guarantee you can trust God's word. You can trust his person. Just ask yourself, how much time have I been spending with him lately? We're living in a crushing world right now. It is sucking hope out of every relationship every day. That's the world we live in. That's the nature of the battle, the journey. So we need to take seriously Our privilege, our duty, our obligation, our responsibility, our wonder, our opportunity to live. And let's do that for each other. It tells us in Scripture, don't forsake gathering together to encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds. We need each other, and we need to continue to help each other grow and to be faithful. Because when we stop growing 
and we're separated from a growing relationship with God, that participation in the nature of God that Peter's talking about that is available to us, we begin to shrink. Barrenness begins with such small steps, you won't even notice it. And then six months down the road, you're going to be blaming everything else instead of looking at yourself and saying, how's my time with God? How's my personal time with God? Seeking him in his word, praying for other people. Because we can't be left in that condition long. And barrenness doesn't stay stagnant. It continues to erode, decay, and the strongest plant will be stalled out. So let's take Peter, who took God at his word, and let's make every effort to add to our faith. Father, we're thankful for the privilege we have, the responsibility we have, the obligation we have, the wonder to live in this relationship with you. And God, we know we have friends all around us and we ourselves. God, there's different degrees of suffering every day. And we pray, God, for this journey that we would, we would see with clearer eyes, we would hear with better ears, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see what you have for us. We're so grateful and we're so thankful for each other. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so that ends our time online. So then we've been uh, sharing just uh, some prayer requests and praying for one another.